Welcome to Timothy Eden Memorial Church, a place for life. Connect, participate, celebrate. Loving God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. You are our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Well, personally, I've been really enjoying studying these passages about King David in, in more depth and, and learning more about uh, his relationship with God. Uh, it's been a while, to be honest, that, that I've studied King David in, in this kind of depth because I tend to focus on the New Testament, on, on the life of Jesus, on the life of the early church. And one of the things that's been exciting for me in my uh, new study of uh, David's life is to see how many ways he illustrates uh, the things that I've actually been teaching in the Hearing God course. It's very gratifying to read and say, oh yeah, that's, that's in line with what I've been teaching in the Hearing God course. Of course, the Hearing God course uh, is based on solid biblical and theological principles, um, mostly from the New Testament, though. And so seeing it uh, so clearly illustrated in the life of someone as, uh, as great as King David has been, has been fun and, and, as I said, quite uh, gratifying. Last week, you might remember, I mentioned how uh, David and his men took six steps and then they stopped after six steps to make an offering to God. And that's because in six steps, God could have stopped them if it was not his will for them to proceed. And it's the same with us when we're seeking God's direction for our lives. And I often teach that if we're not 100% sure of what God wants us to do, we can take a few steps uh, in the direction that we think God wants us to go and see if God allows us to continue or not. So the fact that in this story from last week, God allowed them to move forward was confirmation uh, that they was the confirmation that they needed, that they were looking for, that God did indeed want them to take the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem as they had planned. In these opening verses of chapter seven that Chris read for us this morning, I found more illustrations of the principles from the Hearing God course. It's clear here, for example, that one of the many ways that God speaks to us is through other people. In this case, David seeks the counsel of Nathan, who is a prophet, someone David trusted to be in close communion with God, uh, someone who had a reliable history of interpreting the mind of God for David and for others with integrity and with faithfulness. 
In the opening verses of chapter seven, as David is settling back down from the great celebrations after bringing the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem, David explains to Nathan what's on his mind. After all that God has done for him, he says, I'm living in a house of cedar, but the ark of God stays in a tent. David, always faithful, always humble, feels like he has received more honor than God for what God has done. So David, the king, has a, a, fixed, stru a fixed structure to uh, live in, something solid, something with dignity, while the ark of God is in a, a dwelling that's designed to be quickly taken down and moved along to a new place. David feels like, like he is established while God is living as a nomad. So David wants to remedy this and give due honor to God by having a more dignified structure built for the ark. The ark of the covenant is what holds the word of God for the people of Israel. God's word, of course, is God's self. And so to David, this, this is the very dwelling place of God. And it deserves the very best that David has to offer. Well, Nathan heard what David wanted to do. And he only had to read the signs uh, of all that God had done for the nation under, uh, under David's leadership in order to rightly assume that God was in David's heart, guiding him with wisdom into what he should do and that God was going to bless whatever David did. So it makes sense that when David indicated that he wanted to build a more dignified dwelling for the Ark of the Covenant than the tent that was currently housing it, Nathan would believe that God himself had put this desire in David's heart and would bless his endeavor. So he says to David immediately, without reservation, go, go and do what you have in mind, for the Lord is clearly with you. Right? It was clear to Nathan that God was with David. Before David can even begin, however, God corrects Nathan which is the same principle from hearing God that was illustrated in last week's passage with the six steps that they took, that if we're listening carefully and consistently for God's direction, God will correct our course if we start to move in the wrong direction. And it's important that we not, that we be attentive and that we not ignore the signs that he gives or, or try to push our way through and just do what we want, what we think is right. So believing that God was in David's heart, Nathan counseled him to go ahead and do the honorable thing that he wanted to do. But during the night, possibly in a dream, which is one of the many ways God speaks to people, God comes to Nathan and says to him to tell David something else. 
He says, I don't need a house. If I wanted a house, I could have had a house long ago. Did I ever say that I wanted a house? He said, I don't need the things that you need. My glory and honor cannot be contained in a house of cedar. He's saying to David, you forget who I am. It's not God's will for David to build a permanent house for the ark. In fact, God's plans are much bigger than anything David could conceive. He tells Nathan to say to David, you think you should build me a house, but wait until you see the house that I'm going to build for you. It's an important lesson for David and for us as well. And the most important principle of the Hearing God course is that if we take the time to listen to God, we might be amazed by the things he has planned for our lives. If we take the time to listen to God, we might be amazed by the things that he has planned for our lives. Now, what David wanted to do for God is an honorable thing. Absolutely. It was a very honorable and faithful thing that he wanted to do. But it was based on human logic and a human understanding of of things. And, And that's only natural. It's natural for David. It's natural for us because we are human. As humans, we trust in the things that we can build. We trust in the things that we can control. If David has a cedar house built for the Ark of the Covenant, he knows he can make it of the best quality wood. He's king, so he can hire the most skilled builders. He can ensure that the house is maintained to the highest standards. But even so, even the best that he can offer is just cedar. It's just wood. It's just something perishable. And and even though it's one of the best woods you could choose and, and it's still used for shingles and siding today, cedar is one of the best and it might last 40 or 50 or 60 years in the best condition. It's still perishable. But no house made with human hands will last. Even the best wood, weather deteriorates it. Fire destroys it, and just one invading army could plunder and crush it, and that's the end of it. The things that we use to build our lives are just as temporal and fleeting, and yet we think much like David did. Nothing made, nothing built by human wisdom and human hands can last. And yet we think we can build and structure our lives in the best way. And we think that what what we build will bring us lasting joy. 
We persist in placing our deepest trust in what we can build for ourselves, our homes, our families, our careers, our social lives, our dreams, our reputations, our security. We take pride in what we have built. But only the things that God builds for us will last. And that's what makes God's response to David through Nathan so powerful and so amazing. When David talks about building a house for God, he means a temporary structure. Sure, sure, he means the best temporary structure he can imagine, even one fit for a king. He wants God to have the same kind of house that he, the king, has. And when God talks about building a house for David, he's not talking about a physical structure. He's not talking about something that David will live in until he dies. And then, you know, maybe someone else will occupy it. He's not talking about something that can be deteriorated or destroyed. No, the house of David the house of David that God builds is something much more enduring. Hear these words again from this morning's scripture passage. Tell my servant David, I will make for you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth, and I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them so that they may live in their own place and be disturbed no more. And I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. The Lord will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come forth from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be a father to him, and he shall be a son to me. These are some amazing promises that God Almighty makes to David, a, a mere human being, someone, someone who had been a shepherd boy, the youngest and least impressive of the sons of Jesse, an ordinary man. But what is this house that God is promising to build? And who is this offspring? We might think, looking back, that he was referring to David's son Solomon. Solomon, right? He was the one that God instructed to build a temple in Jerusalem. But that can't be it because because Solomon was born in in David's lifetime, right? Not, uh, as God said, after his days were fulfilled and he laid down with his ancestors. And Solomon's kingdom certainly did not last forever, which is what God had promised. It would last forever. 
Solomon's kingdom didn't even last his own lifetime. It lasted only as long as Solomon remained faithful to God, which wasn't very long. Now Solomon did build a temple for the Ark of the Covenant, and it was a glorious structure, not, not even made of the finest wood, but of stone, which seems much more durable. But even that was destroyed after the nation of Israel had turned their backs on God and Jerusalem was besieged by the Babylonians. No, Solomon's kingdom did not last forever. God promised that he would establish a kingdom from the house of David, that he would give rest from all of his enemies, and that his throne would be established forever. Jesus, who was of the house of David, who defeated the final enemy of death, and who proclaimed the advent of the kingdom of God on earth, fulfilled the promises that God made to David in a way that went far beyond David's limited imagination. And thousands of years after David's death, the kingdom of his son Jesus still stands because David trusted in the plans of God. How could David have known that God's promise would be fulfilled? That the house of God, that the house God is promising to be to build would be more trustworthy than the house that David himself could build. Well, God reminds David of all the things he has already done bringing Israel from Egypt, bringing David from his position as a lowly shepherd and placing him as king of Israel. God has been showing his glory throughout the history of Israel and in David's own life. He says, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep to be prince over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you went and have cut off all your enemies from before you, and I will make for you a great name, like the name of the great ones of earth. What God builds for us is much more enduring than the lives and legacies that we build for ourselves. To trust in that, we need only recall to our minds the amazing things that God has already done in our lives and in the lives of others who have trusted in him. Whenever I think of how wise and trustworthy God is for directing our, the courses of our lives, I can't help but think of the incredible life of, of Joni Erickson. Now, many of you have are probably familiar with her story. She's been uh, a household name for, for decades. A normal, fun-loving 17-year-old, Joni was spending a beautiful summer's day swimming with her friends when she took a dive into shallow water that would change her life forever. 
In the blink of an eye, she went from a carefree teen to a quadriplegic in a wheelchair. Although deeply depressed about her sudden new circumstances and the shattered dreams that she had for her life, she too listened to the wise counsel of Christian friends who encouraged her to fix her eyes on God. While reading the Bible, she says, I learned that the God of the Bible is not sometimes sovereign. He does not occupy the throne one day and vacate it the next. He is supremely in charge, often for purposes we cannot understand this side of eternity. Since that day back in 1967, Joni placing her trust in God completely has gone on to write 35 books. She's spoken in more than 45 countries. She established a disability ministry that impacts people all around the world. And she has produced glorious paintings with a brush between her teeth. To this day, Joni and her husband run an international ministry, the Joni and Friends International Disability Center based in Southern California that offers life-changing programs, including a radio and television program that air on more than a thousand broadcast outlets around the world. She runs a retreat program that holds events for hundreds of special needs families. Her Wheels for the World program that works with inmates who refurbish donated wheelchairs has distributed 52,000 wheelchairs to disabled children and adults in 102 developing countries. And as well, she offers training and educational resources for churches and individuals and government who want to be able to help those with living with disabilities. Joni accepted a presidential appointment to the National Council on Disability and helped, helped draft the Americans with Disabilities Act, which was signed into law in 1990. She's been honored with 22 awards, including induction into Indiana Wesleyan University's Society of World Changers, a gold medallion lifetime achievement award by the Evangelical Christian Publishers Association, a prestigious courage and conviction award from Biola University, along with eight honorary university degrees six of which are doctorates. And to think, her plans were for a normal life. <laughs> As she learned to trust God, the purpose she had for her life in the face of these new circumstances, sorry, the purpose that he had for her life in the face of these new circumstances, became more and more clear to her. 
And so Joni leaned into that purpose. And over the last 54 years, she has been able to impact the lives of millions of people all over the world while sharing the love of Christ. She despaired of her circumstances as a 17-year-old whose dreams of normal life and family were taken from her. And she could have given up hope. But instead, she trusted in God, even in the face of a horrible tragedy, and went on to live a life of meaning and purpose and impact that would have been impossible if things had gone according to her plans. Her plans were for a house of cedar for God's word to live in. God's purpose was to build a house for her, a house that would endure well beyond her own lifetime and would change the world forever. Whether we are a king or a shepherd boy, or a teenage girl with our whole lives ahead of us, or an adult muddling through the day-to-day -day challenges of life, or whether we're facing a life-altering dilemma, whether we're dealing with uncertainty about the future, or we think we have it all under control. If you are alive and breathing, God sees you, and God knows you, and God has a plan for your life. And the true sense of the purpose of your life will be clearest when you entrust it all to God's wisdom by praying and listening for God's voice and seeking the wise counsel of other people who also love God and maybe taking a few steps in that direction to see what happens. And you will see what happens when it is God who's directing the course of your life. Amen.